Welcome, everyone, once again to After Further Review with Mark Ferreira and John Pelkey. I am John Pelkey. Mark Ferreira is here, much to the chagrin of, I don't know, someone who probably needs him to be doing something else, frankly. Because I always give you a hard wow. time, Mark. But I you, do. you know, you are, you're always here driving over to the coast to pick people up. And you, you really are a hail fellow well met, at least on the surface. So I have to give you credit for that. Somebody probably I, I do throw a lot of bones toward that. So there is some effort there, and I, I appreciate your respecting the, the you know the tiny effort I throw to uh, maintaining that facade. <laughs> You've done well. You've done well. That could be it on his tombstone. He picked everyone up <laughs> and brought ice. Yes, and he brought ice. Uh, so there was actually a, a post about somebody who was you know oh wait here's this is my friend this is the I'll bring, I've got a great new recipe for uh, for the barbecue here it is my recipe for ice and you know so anyway uh, that's Jeff Taylor by the way that you heard he is our producer and uh, running the show here got a great show for you today folks we think even though we generally try to set the bar low and we do that when it's just us but when we have a guest. We, 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 we can say we think we're going to have a great show, and we certainly will. Randy Vitaha is going to join us. Spent uh, seven years in the National Football League, six of them with the New England Patriots, one with the Green Bay Packers, former Stanford, well, now Cardinal, Indian at the time, um, and a resume that is just, uh, well, it's almost offensive to you and I, Mark, because he's been uh, a player, almost. a union negotiator, a team president and owner, an agent, and a sports investment banker. He's currently the president of Game Plan LLC, which uh, helps with acquisitions of sports teams. And he's been involved in the acquisitions uh, of the Golden State Warriors, the Boston Celtics, among others. Uh, just just a, an amazing resume. And I know Mark has a no-cal guy, and he's a Stanford guy. You're very excited about this. Well, he has a, a great place in my heart from the get, from the time I became a sports fan as a, as a nine-year-old kid or a ten-year-old kid. And literally, he's done everything you can do in sports. To your point, yeah. when you when you outlined his resume, he's he's done everything. He's been on the player side for a lot of years. He's been on the agent side, trying to, you know, still in that sense on the player side. Yeah. And and he's also been an owner. And to your point, he's negotiated team sales. You know, for the. Golden State Warriors, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Right. I mean, it goes exactly. on and on. Yeah. And it's it's just going to be a lot of fun to talk to a guy like that and to see because truly, if there's anyone that has credibility in terms of a perspective of sort of any issue from right. any point of view, he's right. he's not only been there, lived there and worked there. Yeah, and, and, and particularly, we're going to talk later in the show about reopening, and boy, it will be great to get his perspective as a guy who was a player, who was an owner, he's owner of the Boston Breakers, uh, that then moved to New Orleans, and then uh, Portland of the USFL, um, he was the player rep for the Patriots in 1974 when there was a work stoppage, now it was only a work stoppage from uh, July into August, and I think the only game that was lost at that point was the college all-star game, which it's not even played anymore. For people who don't know, college all-stars would play championship team, either the Super Bowl winner or sometimes it might it might just be someone who made their way, to, I think, to the AFC or NFC championship game. It's been so long, I don't remember. Um, but so, yeah, it's going to be great to get his uh, to get his uh, uh, perspective on all of these things. I also want to talk a little about his career. The most interesting thing I read, Mark, when I was doing the research on Randy Vitaha for the 1971 Rose Bowl, uh, uh, which his Stanford team upset, uh, highly favored. And depending on who you talk to, either number one or number two, Ohio State denied them a national championship. Uh, was they in the, in the article, they talked about 
Ohio State's cat quick nose guard, 225 pound Jim Stillwagon. Yeah. 225. He couldn't play corner in the NFL no. at 225 no. at this point. But uh, so we'll have uh, Randy on. He a little couldn't bit be later. a punter at this he, point. Right, exactly. There are many punters who are larger than that. Uh, but uh, anyway, a, a different era then. Also, in our potpourri segment, we're going to talk a little about Colin Kaepernick. We're going to talk about um, the ramifications of social media as uh, well. We'll get to that when, when we get there. We'll also talk about our poll question, uh, which is about documentaries and sports what's the documentary you'd like to see and of course we get into this mark because the last dance was the only thing we talked about for two weeks in sports the lance armstrong di- documentary which i am about 80 percent of the way through up to this point is uh, big news on espn we want to know what documentaries people want to see and i will say this about the michael jordan followed by the lance armstrong thing and i know mark have you watched any of lance i have i have you know, you and in those guys, you have two athletes, one of whom, Lance Armstrong, despite all the negatives about him, is still the face of his sport. Sure. And Michael Jordan, who, if you talk about the face of the NBA, it, it maybe he's third, probably second to LeBron at this point, or maybe even number one still. Well, I mean, it depends. I mean, in terms of all time, he's one or two or three. Oh, you, yeah. You, you got but Jerry Rex West, who was the who was the logo of the NBA. But even now, if you ask people who are not basketball fans, name a basketball player. Michael Jordan's name may literally be at the first name that they come up with. There's no doubt about it. Uh, so both of these guys incredibly driven. We see that and we also see what the cost of being incredibly driven. And what I found with Armstrong is he is such a compelling character because he is, even while apologizing, unapologetic. No, you're right, John. And in a way, it is quintessentially American, if you think about it. If you think about how the great ones, or even the ones that get the most press, or, or achieve the highest, even office in the land. I'll go there. It is, it is that kind of combination, I am telling you, that is highly moral and passionate and focused on one se- in, in, in one sentence, and the next one, the exact opposite. As amoral as possible, as, as uh, the ends justifies the means as possible, and if they're compelling, and if they're charming, and if they're telegenic, well, then hell, get out of the way. Yeah, exactly. So I just, I, I'm just finding it fascinating. Uh, Armstrong, and uh, also, you know, it's interesting because he he disgraced a sport because of his uh, doping and all of that. Yet the documentary essentially tells you that entire sport, at least at the elite level, exactly. Was all we're all doing it. You could it, see right. where Armstrong could think, at least initially, uh, anybody in that sport could think, well, this is what you have to do. This is part of preparation. Right. This is what you do. To your point, John, it's like Barry. It's like he's just the best doper. Barry right. Bonds was just the best steroid guy. Yeah. It's not as if he was the only one. They right. were all doing it. He, oh, by the way, just figured out. Okay, if this is yeah, part of my access. prep, if this is part of my preparation, yeah. it's not cheating. If no. everyone's doing it, it's it's what you do to to prepare. It's he had access, he had better access than a lot of riders did to uh, the just top of the line most um, uh, most advanced sure. doping. 
but it's just it's just fascinating to me. And and uh, cycling still owes him. I think they owe him a check every year because it's all we it's the only thing we talk about when the Tour de France comes along again. Lance Armstrong will be mentioned as much as probably any rider in the tour. And anyone that watches the Tour de France, John, to your point, yet didn't watch before Lance Armstrong. Any of that revenue generation that happens yeah. as a result of of the expansion of the sport is owed to Lance Armstrong, whether you like him or not, whether you think what he did is right or not. Obviously, no one thinks what he did is right. But, you know, where you place him on the spectrum, and I would argue that most humans are on that moral spectrum, uh, wherever you wherever you place him, depending even if it's even if it's the, in the bad, bad, bad zone. You know, you he there is a as 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 David Bowie said about Mick Jagger and every other rock and roll singer after him, everyone owes a piece of their ass to Lance Armstrong. They do. Yes, absolutely. The purses are bigger in cycling because of Lance Armstrong. It's yeah, it's just fascinating. I I, I would highly recommend everybody watch it because it is remarkable. It's also remarkable when you start looking at what the Tour de France is and whoever came up with it must just hate everything and everyone humans they just must it's right. ridiculous it is absolutely ridiculous uh why anyone put their body through what these tour de france riders put their body through uh well uh mark real quickly we want to get to our progressive trivia because joining us in just a moment will be uh the aforementioned randy Vitaha. we are so excited to have an opportunity to talk about him and what it was like to play college football when the best nose tackle in the game was 225 pound Jim Stillwagon. <laughs> this is just remarkable. But first, Mark, let's get to our progressive trivia. All right, we're looking for an NFL player, ladies and gentlemen. 80 plus career touchdowns, double digit postseason touchdowns, which is uh, pretty significant, I would say. Played with 10 get Ted Ginn and Reggie Bush and had 80 plus touchdowns in his college career. So this is an NFL player with 80-plus touchdowns in his career, double-digit postseason touchdowns, which means, again, anyone, anything over nine. Played with Ted Ginn and Reggie Bush and 80-plus touchdowns in his career. So those are the first four. we got eight more coming up, folks. All right. Joining Good us luck. now, though, we're very excited to have him here. Seven years in a National Football League, a proud member of the Stanford Cardinal and one that defeated uh, the uh, the evil empire that was Ohio State. And I say that having grown up an Ohio State fan. Uh, he was on the AFC All-Rookie Team for the New England Patriots, also played with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, his resume is way too long to get into because we want to try to keep this to a two-hour podcast at most. <laughs> Please help me in welcoming Randy Vitaha. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes with us. I- I'm so excited to talk to you. First of all, how is all of the madness in the world, quarantine, the riots in the streets, how are you doing? Uh, same old, same old. You know, we, uh, we, we've been in the sports business a long time, and, uh, you know, this is obviously just a terrible situation for everybody in the world. Um, <clears throat> but a, a few things that you can at least, you know, gives you time to really reflect on a lot of stuff. We know we've had a chance to kind of reconnect with a lot of clients that are also uh, locked in and you know so we're using Skype and Zoom and all of those and you know uh, it, it's uh, kind of a moment in time where we've been able to touch base with a lot of friends we haven't uh, been able to catch up with so you know I'm, I'm anxious to get back to the hustle and bustle but 
you know, there's some something that came out of that. And I and I think I think the sports leagues are learning uh, from this mm-hmm. experience. You know, there's there's a lot of things that you just take for granted. And and now we're all learning how important uh, sports is in a lot of ways and how important the fans are and how it's part of, you know, their culture and their life. And we say those words, but people don't always really understand it. And I think that's that's coming around to people realizing that. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you kind of led me into this first uh, question, because I, as I, we were talking about you before you, you came on with us, you've been a player, um, a team rep, uh, union rep. You've been an agent. You've been an, an owner. You just have such an um, umbrella for uh, this question. Um, reopening the sports, obviously something we all want. But with your perspective, I've said it, I think commissioners of sports now are earning their paycheck like they never have before in coming up with this. What do you see as the best possible scenario for the, let's just stick with the NFL at this point, uh, moving forward, how, how do you see the fall shaping up for the, for the NFL? You know, uh, having been in this business for a long time and, and, and hitting the ripe old age of 71, um, you know, this is a moment in time, uh, like so many things that have happened that have been awful, but um, I'm just all about safety at this point, and um, God forbid that teams don't play or things don't go as we wanted, but um, I do believe there will be a vaccine. This will get back to normal, and I would just hate to see it get rushed um, to where it wasn't a safe situation for the players, for the fans, for the people working at the facilities, stadiums, and ballparks. So, um, you know, I, I, that's my biggest concern. I don't have any expertise in that, and, and I'm hoping like heck that we really listen to the professionals uh, but at the same time, you know, we have to have an economy. Uh, but I, again, so what do I think will happen? I, I think you're going to see some um, some sports like NASCAR, who's already on, will start to have some fans and they'll be socially distanced. And then, you know, within you know three to four weeks, will you see if, if that's working, all of the measures and uh, you know, the, the, the NFL, unfortunately, or fortunately, will be in the fall. And that's when, you know, they say that probably the greatest, greatest risk of a resurgence is. So, again, you know, it, we just have to be, we're all impatient. I, I get that. That's for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, and I love Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. But when, when, they, uh, when they get better ratings on a Sunday than the Friday of the, of the Masters, it tells you how hungry people really are to watch something. So, uh, but I, I just hope we use good, good restraint in making sure, not going to the absurd, but uh, making sure that we, we do things safely. And I think that is, the, uh, that is the balance everyone's trying to achieve. We're talking with Randy Vitaha who played uh, college football with Jim Plunkett at Stanford, won a Rose Bowl, went on to play with the New, York, New England Patriots, was a sports agent, was a sports union rep, was an owner, for crying out loud, and has negotiated huge deals to, uh, for, for teams uh, to be sold and to be acquired as well. He's had a perspective and a career that encompasses every 
kind of point of view, Randy, which is what we, we just love because everyone seems to have their own side of things, you know, and everyone's in their own cer- certain camp. And you, oh, by the way, you've been in every camp, <laughs> which we which we appreciate to, to, to the nth degree. And so with, with that in mind, I have this question. Uh, you know, you didn't play baseball, but you negotiated the deal for the acquisition of the Los Angeles Dodgers, for crying out loud. So you've been in that world. You're a sports guy. You've been an agent. You've represented players as well as a union rep and as an agent. Baseball's trying to open up, and we appreciate you always erring on the side of safety, and I think we, we all agree with that. If, if, if we're trying to find a balance, we want to err on that side, even though all of us want to work and get to work and have the economy going. But Major League Baseball, of course, is at an impasse with the money. And the money, of course, the players had already uh, negotiated, we are going to take a prorated rate. So if we play 80 games, we'll get half the salary. If we play 40 games, we have a fourth of the salary kind of thing. And then, of course, the latest MLB proposal from the owners is that, no, we're going to revenue share, and they're pushing back on that. People have said, listen, Tony Clark, the, the rep, and you've been, you've been in these positions, Randy. You've been in these positions. They say there's a collective bargaining thing happening in a couple of years. Maybe go for concessions there and give them what they want here. In your point of view, if you were Tony Clark being the, you know, the, the union rep, what, what, what advice would you give him? <laughs> well, I, I think <clears> – <throat> The biggest thing uh, is what does your constituency really want, the players? And uh, I know the players want to play. I, I understand that. But there's a lot of history in, in union negotiations, <laughs> and, <laughs> to say the least. And, and probably baseball has had the, the most right. difficult. And um Anytime you talk about anything that even remotely resembled a salary cap in baseball, you know, uh, flares go off and, and, you know, that's been the sacred cow that the union has, you know, uh, they've made concessions. And, you know, I I, look, um, I can argue any side of this. (laughs) We know this. That's what we love about about you. Tell me to put my hat on. You know, from (laughs) a player's standpoint, they say, look, we have a contract, right? And and we understand that if you only play half the games and I'm only playing half the games, then I'll get half my pay. And that's fair. But we are not involved with the revenue side. We have a contract to play baseball. And if I play baseball, I want my prorated amount reasonable request. The owners are saying, look, we're losing all of our revenue from ticket sales, concessions, parking, all of the things that that make this business work. And we lose a lot of money without it. And so as good partners, shouldn't we be figuring out a way that we're going to lose money you can take a little less money in terms of t- to help us mitigate that. That are, are those are both very sane positions to take. The problem is that neither one of them, you know, the, the I, I guarantee you, if the roles were reversed, the 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 players believe that the owners would hold them to the letter of the contract, period, and vice versa. And so you have that, you know loggerheads and the unfortunate uh, consequence is the fans are the ones 
that are suffering a bit until this gets resolved. They're suffering a lot in general, but until it gets it gets resolved. So, you know, I don't think there's a right side or a wrong side in this. And uh, I think at the end of the day, uh, Rob Manford has to do the best thing he can do for his group of owners, not for his, you know, reputation or whatever. And the same with, with Tony. He's got to do with his members. If they decide, we'll give up some money this time around. But I don't think they believe that's going to help them in the next collective market. Right, right. It sounds great to say it today. But <laughs> when that agreement comes up, that will mean virtually zero in the negotiation. And again, vice versa. So, you know, but I do believe that it will get resolved. Yeah, because and that's why it's called negotiation. That's how it yeah, works. That's, and, you know, know, and, and, and I think we've all been on both sides of negotiations in this situation. All right, let's switch gears for a minute and talk about your career because you were 17th round draft choice of the Los Angeles Rams and got cut in preseason. Uh, another uh, uh, more evidence as to why Tommy Prothro's uh, head coaching tenure in, in Los Angeles didn't, didn't work out particularly well. Um, but we talk a lot on this show with, when we talk to athletes and we um, full disclosure, Mark and I work at the uh, ESPN club at Walt Disney world. We'll get back to your Disney history too, in a bit, but uh, we, uh, um, we talk to a lot of athletes about how important it is to find yourself in the right situation as a professional athlete. There are a lot of talented guys who never got to the right situation, so never got to play. You were lucky enough to have played with Jim Plunk at the overall number one choice in that draft um, and to get to New England. Can you talk about that transition, how you got to New England and how you ended up in a, a position to be on the AFC all-rookie team after having been cut the previous preseason? <laughs> well, um, I was, uh, as you mentioned, the 17th round draft choice of, of the Los Angeles Rams. In those days, there were 17 rounds. And, and I've, I've told this story. It, it's absolutely true. Uh, back then, the draft was in January. It was before any free agency, so they didn't have to worry about the timing. They had, so I had finished. I was in my senior year. We'd finished. We beat Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. I was speaking at a high school a banquet down in Southern California and um, in the middle of my speech. And I wasn't even thinking about the NFL. And, the, you know, I was getting uh, registered for business school or possibly law school, but probably business school. But um, and in the middle of my speech, this nice woman walks up to the podium and I'm up on the stage and she's kind of doing this and doing that. And, and I finally said, excuse me, ma'am, but I'm trying to talk here to this high school group and everything. And she said, well, I just wanted to let you know you were drafted. Now, in 1971, when somebody said you're drafted, that wasn't a good thing. <laughs> you were going wow. to Vietnam. But it, it, it took a second, and then I realized she was talking about the NFL draft. And I said, oh, my gosh, what, what team? And she said, well, the L.A. Rams. And I said, I can't believe it. I'm born and raised in Southern California. This is unbelievable. And I said, what round? And she kind of mumbled. And you know, I said, well, what, what round? And she finally said, well, the 17th. I said, That's all right. Finished my speech. I'm driving home, and I'm sitting there in my car saying, I can't wait to meet this brilliant scout, this guy that could see through, no size, no speed, none of this, none of that, but he sees it. He knows I can play. This guy's brilliant. I can't wait to meet him. Next morning, I get up. I get the L.A. Times because I want to cut out the little clip in the back, and there's my picture 
and Jack Youngblood's picture. He was the first pick of the Rams, <laughs> and I was the last pick of the Rams. And I'm looking at his article, and, you know, he was all everything and this and that, and, you know, best time at the combine. Well, he didn't have a combine then, and his workout, all this stuff. And then I read my article, and my article was basically that um, the Rams had a tradition, which was the newest secretary in the office got to make the 17th draft pick. <laughs> That's how it was. And they, 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 the guy that wrote the article interviewed her, and he said, "Well, you know, you know, why, why did you? What did you see in Randy Vitale? You know, pro offense because he played with Plunkett or what?" And she goes, "Oh, I think they hired me because I know absolutely nothing about football." And they handed me a list of names, and I liked Vitale. Ha 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 So. When people tell you there's nothing in a name, don't listen to them. It can get you into the NFL. So uh, <laughs> that's why I got drafted. Uh, I got released um, right. with one preseason game to go. Flew out to, and and, and the, the story as I know it, um, uh, the Rams uh, receiver coach, he was actually running backs and receivers, was Dick Vermeil under Tommy Prothrow. And Dick kind of put his arm around me after I was cut and said, hey, I, I think you can play. Uh, and uh, he said, so, you know, stay in shape. He said all the right things. Well, that week, the uh, that, that uh, week, the Patriots were playing the Rams and uh, back in New England. And the Rams, uh, Dick put in a good word for me. Jim Plunkett put in a good word for me. And pretty soon I got a call from Upton Bell, the general manager, and he said, hey, would you like to try out with us? And I said, absolutely. Got on a plane, flew back, uh, had one day of a walkthrough, put on my uniform and played in the, the, the last preseason game. Had no idea what I was doing. The, the only good part was neither did Plunkett. He had <laughs> no idea what he was doing. Because he played in the college all-star game, you know. I mean, back then they used to play uh, play that right before this, the preseason or the beginning beginning of the preseason on. So uh, anyway, uh, have no idea. I, I think they they started off with, you know, maybe you know Randy can help calm Jim down, you know, <laughs> or help him study or something. But uh, our opening game that year was against the Oakland Raiders, and we won. And I got in in the second half and made a couple of long catches and started there, uh, was third in the AFC in pass receptions. Uh, I had 51 catches, which back then the league leader was about 58. Um, you know, this was, you know, in the old days. So it's I, the equivalent of 184 this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was halfway through the season. But you said it exactly right, John, that it is, there's a, there's a, 25% of NFL players that are so talented, so good, such great attitudes, they're, they're, they're there. Um, after that, uh, there's a big margin of players, and of the bottom 25%, it's totally luck. Where you happen to be, when somebody needs something, uh, and I was just 100% lucky to be in, 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 that, you know, in that situation. To have Plunkett in New England, to have the, the the Rams playing the Patriots the next week, all of those things uh, just sheer luck. Now, yeah, I, I still had to get open and catch passes, but there's a lot of guys that can do that. Uh, I, I just got in the right place at the right time. So, 
Well, and you had a guy like Dick Vermeil, who, you know, get, this is yet one more story about what a good guy he is oh, in terms he, of he was the best. recognizing talent and just being a good dude about everything. But and, and you mentioned early in this interview, you're 71. Well, my good friend Russ Ayers, who connected us, has said you're still speedy on the tennis court, which <laughs> none of us who followed you back in the day are shocked by at all. But it, it's that whole idea, Randy, and I want you to speak to that uh, with with my last question, which is, you know, you, you go from I think Garden Grove, JC, or a, a junior college to Golden Stanford, West, yeah. Golden West. So you get you, you go from JC to Stanford, and you go from being cut to being in the top five, top ten receivers, in, you know, in the NFL, it's and you're and you're and you are you're you're no size, no speed. I mean, I'm just quoting you at this point in time. You know, it's like, what is that intangible that clearly has led you to every possible position in sports uh, since then? But but explain what that was for you in terms of just never giving up. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 every year in training camp, you know, you go to camp, the NFL, even if you have a contract, it doesn't mean anything. They can cut you for no pay. Um, it just, if you do make the team, it just tells you how much you're going to make. And I was amazed not only at receiver, but at every position, the level of talent that didn't make the team, you know, um, and, um, you know, my wife's asked me, my kids have asked me that, that question, you know. I, I don't know. I, I, I think one thing is I, I, I was sort of blessed with an ability to stay pretty focused. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I never had a, a, an issue with a crowd, never got nervous before a game. Um, probably overconfident in a lot of ways. Uh, even though, you know, there's no reason to be, but, <laughs> but just, just the, the, you know, the, the focus to, to understand, you know, every play, you know, who's doing what, why is that happening? What, you know, where, where's the safety going? You know, um, a lot of people have asked me how I can go through and not get killed out there. Well, I said, well, you know, I, I made sure I knew where everybody was on the field, on the defensive side. So <clears throat> if you were a defensive back during the week, I wanted to know if you lined up here or there, you, I knew you were probably going there. And then all I did was hope that Jimmy or whoever, Steve Grogan or whoever, didn't throw it in between us. <laughs> uh, I wanted to throw it over there. So, but, uh, Remaining couple of minutes with Randy Vitaha. That's funny because I was watching a highlight of a game against the Bears uh, that you played in, in 71, and you said you knew where everybody was. There was some linebacker apparently you didn't see who gave you a forearm to the head oh. in that game. Uh, but uh, I think you guys won that game in the end, so you see you got back. All right, we got uh, just a couple minutes left uh, with Randy Vitaha, and I want to cover, cover, cover – hello, English language uh, – cover a couple of things. And uh, one of them, as you mentioned, uh, we, we were just talking about how many talented guys there are and uh, how uh, luck plays into it. And if you're at the top 25 percent, you're going to make it no matter what. There is one guy I think was at the top 25 percent whose attitude prevented him from making it. And I don't know if you have memory of this, but in 1971, Dwayne Thomas was traded to the New England Patriots oh, yeah. for about 48 hours, I think. Uh, 
Um, and uh, your head coach, John Roush, Dwayne did not get along. Dwayne didn't get along with anybody. So uh, do, what do you remember of that situation? Because it just it turned out that I believe the commissioner voided the trade and sent it back to Dallas. And that's what happened. What do you remember about that? Well, see, I got there after he was gone. Oh, OK. That was in training camp. And I, I didn't really have training camp when the Patriots. When I got here, they'd already broken camp because I had spent all virtually I played, I think, that year, I played seven preseason, well, seven preseason games because the Rams were in the Hall of Fame game. So, and that's when they played six. I was in the seventh. So I was all training camp, missed it in, in New England. And, you know, I was in the local no-tell motel there right next to the stadium uh, trying out to make the team. So I missed all of that. Of course, there was, you know, a lot of stories flying around about, and remember, the Patriots got Jim Plunkett because they were the worst team in football and the worst organization maybe in all of sports <laughs> at that time. Yeah. And, uh, so uh, they, they were just started and they had they opened that stadium that year. Um, they had been given a mandate by Pete Rozelle. If you don't have a stadium open in 1971, then you, the team will be moved. We'll move it for you. So that stadium was built in under a year for six million dollars. Wow! And having and having been to Sullivan Stadium, it looked like it was built in well, less than a year. I, I went in to use the bathroom, and I had to go back and get a stool because they had, they, they didn't even have plans. The urinals were mounted, you know, three feet above. I mean, they were well above any normal person's size. And I found a plumber one day and asked him that they because they were still working on the stadium. They said, "Ah, oh, we didn't have any plans. We just thought they're a bunch of big guys, so we put a foot higher than normal." Uh, oh. And, you know, the, the opening game when they flushed the toilets, every toilet in the stadium flooded um, because they never flushed them all at once, just one at a time. And they didn't realize they didn't have the one. So there's a million stories. Uh, oh, my God. Well, we definitely want to have you back to talk about that. But I just want to cover two more things before we get out of here. And I, I would be remiss if I if I didn't touch on this. Because I mentioned it earlier, Mark, and I work used to work, we don't know if we'll ever work again, at, uh, at Walt Disney <laughs> yes. World. And you actually had an opportunity to work at Disneyland as Bashful. Bashful Please tell us that story. Well, uh, when I was at Golden West, uh, I, I was a high school quarterback who couldn't pass. Um, so I went to Golden West and I was changing. That's why I changed to wide receiver. <clears throat> but uh, Brer Bear uh, was one of my teammates. <laughs> so when we got to the summer, he said, come on, I'll take you down. I'll, I, know, I know the people over the, you know, in the employment office. And I went down there and, uh, uh, you know, I, I always kept that a secret in football, though, I didn't think anybody would want a bashful dwarf on your football team. <laughs> There's one good statement about that that helps you in football. But yeah, so uh, so I got hired, and I was uh, one of the seven dwarfs. And then uh, I also worked some on weekends. I moonlighted as Chipper Dale once in a while. Uh, never could figure out which costume was which, but oh, I, I we host a lot of things at Disney, and I still don't know which is which. Though apparently there is a way to to to, to tell. All right, before we before we let you go, we we would be remiss because he's been mentioned a number of times, and we talked about the Hall of Fame. And Jim Plunkett is the only quarterback with two championships, uh, two Super Bowl championships, who's not in the Hall of Fame, uh, despite the fact that he won one against my hometown team, uh, the Redskins. Uh, I would advocate for that. Um, 
I, I just think Jim Plunkett needs to be in the Hall of Fame. What are your feelings on Jim, and why do you think he didn't get there? Because to your point, considered somewhat of a disappointment in New England, but came to one of the worst organizations in football at that point. Yeah, the the uh, Plunkett had an amazing rookie year. He was he was obviously rookie of the year and all that, but um, he took a beating that was um, just awful, and and it persisted um, through his his years. And uh, there's very few guys that could have even played all the games he played, and he didn't miss any games in New England. You know, for those five years. But, you know, he'd had uh, a couple of knee operations, shoulder operations. I mean, he was just uh, a physical mess. And people forget that um, he was actually traded, uh, I think, for three first-round picks to the 49ers, not to the Raiders. And he went to the 49ers, and they tried to rush him on the field the same way, and, uh, and they weren't very good at that time. And they finally ended up cutting him. And uh, he was out of football, and Al Davis went to him and said, hey, I'd like to sign you and put you on the, on the Raiders. But he says, I have one condition. And Plunkett said, well, what's that? And he said, you're going to take one year, and you're not going to play a down of football. I don't want you to do anything but heal. You can come to meetings. You can work out you know, a, a bit, but I don't want you on the field. I just want you to heal. And he did that for a year and got, you know, back to where everything worked again and then went on and won two Super Bowls with the Raiders. Um, I have I have no explanation. Uh, you know, I've had I've, I know people that have um, uh, said that, well, during his years, you know, the NFL all hated the Raiders and that mostly Al Davis because of the lawsuits. Remember Plunkett went to L.A. from Oakland sure. and they went back and all of that. And it was sort of a black period. And so at that point in time, you know, Jim got kept. Now, I, I don't have any knowledge of that whatsoever. I just heard that as the one excuse uh, for him not. But I, I'd be his first vote, that's for sure. All right. Well, thank you. And you'll be our first vote for MVP for the show because we really, really appreciate you taking some time to talk about. I was so excited when I found out that you were going to be here when I was I should I should admit I'm going to use your quote about, you know, 100 percent luck because uh, I was a slow, short wide receiver in high school that didn't never got to even play college football. And I'm going to say it's luck. It was all luck. Just bad luck. Yeah. Yeah. You had it. That was the only issue. Just it bad was, luck, Johnny. And and in high school, I wore number nineteen because it was between eighteen and nineteen. It was either you or Lance Allworth, and I don't. I think somebody already had number eighteen, so I had to take number nineteen. Yeah, remember, my nickname was Rabbit. His nickname was Bambi. So which nickname would you rather have? You know, R- Rabbit. But yet yeah, an- okay. an- another Disney tie-in. So uh, <laughs> you know. Hey, boss is at Disney. You bring Mark and I back. We need work. Randy Mataha, thank you for spending some time with us. We greatly appreciate it. We hope we can have you back. Good, good. And I'll, uh, I, I won't hold it against Russ for uh, having set this up. I really enjoyed it. It was <laughs> really nice. appreciate nice it. Thank you, Randy. It. Thanks. Thank you, Randy. Appreciate it. All right. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, John, that was great that you brought up, uh, you know, you brought up uh, Jim Plunkett because 
It is true. I mean, it, we forget that part of, of his story. We we all know about him being out of football, being with the four, you know, and then and then going to the Raiders and then getting the lucky break. Not lucky for Dan Pastorini, but the lucky break. And we know the story from there, but we forget how beat up he was. Oh God, yes. With New England just just beat to to hell, and terrible. then he goes to the Forty ers And remember, they were six and one or six and two in the early part of that seventy six season. They got off to a great start, so Plunkett still had it in him. But the team just got exposed at some point in time because they just weren't that good a team. And then 77 was a was a horror. And I think he was out of football in 78 and then healed with the Raiders in 79. And whatever you think of Al Davis, the man was a visionary. The man could see the future. The man could and not only see the future, John, because a lot of us pretend we can see the future, but (laughs) none of us are patient enough to wait. Right. I mean, how many people could just wait? Right. For a guy to get healthy, and to Randy's point, because he's because he's so, he just bottom lines thing, and he's obviously everything about him is highly functioning. He said, you know, they waited until everything worked again. <laughs> that, that's how that's how he yeah. described it, which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it absolutely is. And I took a couple of things away from that. First of all, your general manager in San Francisco, Joe Thomas, literally perhaps the worst general manager in the history of all times, except he could now look back if he's still with us. And if he is, thanks for listening, Joe. He's gone. Okay. Well, that he could look back and say, I was right about Plunkett. I was right about Plunkett. And and, and screwed it up or someone else screwed it up. Was he, he was the, uh, the, the Baltimore Colts GM prior. And so I think he, he had a Super Bowl under his belt, which is why, you know, sort of, you know, you you do one thing right and you can kind of write it for a decade until right. you just crash and burn. You know, that was Joe Thomas. We were funny once on a Disney Vacation Club cruise, and we have now <laughs> parlayed that into, except for this year, now that it's been canceled. Uh, but uh, apparently they're even thinking about having us back. So, uh, yeah, just uh, just 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 great talking uh, to Randy about that. Didn't have time to get in, and we're gonna, we have to have him back because he was uh, involved with the USFL. Right. I mean, I ended my conversation. I said the t- second question because we were like 20, 25 minutes in. And yeah. and I think my friend Russ Ayers had said, you know, 10, 15 minutes. I'm thinking, he. But, yeah, you're right. We could have had him on for the entire – he could be on for the entire show. Yeah. We could have a Joe Rogan-esque podcast and just interview him until we're done with our questions and then right. call it a day. Well, what we need to do now, because you gave the first clues for progressive trivia, and uh, I came up with nothing, even though I had all that kind of time to think about it. So let's hear our next set of clues. First set of clues for our progressive trivia is an NFL player with 80-plus career touchdowns, double-digit postseason touchdowns, which means it's over nine, folks. It's over nine. It's ten. Well, it goes into the double-digit realm. Played with Ted Ginn and Reggie Bush, 80-plus TDs in his College career. He had 10,000 plus yards passing in his college career. He was picked 36th overall in the NFL draft, four and two in the NFL playoffs, played with three head coaches in the National Football League, four and two in the playoffs, picked 36th overall, had 10,000 plus yards passing in his college career, which is, uh, you know, pretty significant. 80 plus career touchdowns in the National Football League, double digit postseason touchdowns. Played with Ted Ginn, Reggie Bush, 80-plus TDs in his college career. That's it, Johnny. All right. Texting you, texting you a bad guess, uh, but I did it anyway. Um, all right. Uh, we wanted to talk now a little bit about uh, the uh, 
the reopening ideas. Uh, and, and we're going to have to truncate this, obviously, because uh, the Randy Bataha interview was so fabulous. And we spent a lot of time with this. But uh, the NBA has put forth the proposal. It, it does look like it's going to get done, that they are going to play here at Walt Disney World. Uh, they've, they've actually laid out now they'll be staying at the Coronado, the vast majority of people. I think Disney's putting those things into play right now to see, make sure that they have um, proper amenities for everything. Um, and they're talking about the seventh game of the NBA championship will fall on October 12th. Um, just wanted to get your thoughts on that. And if you think that that is a, it's that's a little later than I thought they might go. Um, but that seems to fit in the pocket that I think would uh, would be a very successful playoff tournament for the NBA. Well, I agree with that in a vacuum. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The problem is, is what they're competing with in the early fall. But are they going to be competing with it is the question. Well, I mean, if, if they're up and running and doing a playoff system, I would assume there would be some sort of energy in college and pro football in, in September and October. Yeah. And, and again, I don't care about those kinds of things. I don't know if the NBA, the NBA will still be successful because people want to see the finish of that. And frankly, yeah. I'm looking forward to something like that where the NBA actually competes with the national football league. Now, granted, Every piece of evidence we've ever seen at the ESPN club where there's playoff baseball happening or or not playoff baseball, but baseball, uh, you know, games that are determining the playoffs, uh, you know, compared, you know, in competition in the same evening with a freaking game two of the preseason. Well, you know, game two is a big one. Always you, start, wins. you start to see the rookies in game two. You're really getting a look at them. I can see uh, game one, but game two. So at any rate, uh, I think that's the only issue that people have. But again, what are you going to do, Johnny? To your yeah. point, you don't know what the NFL is going to do. You don't know what college football is going to do. And what are you going to do? Let's get it up and running. Let's get this season finished. Let's get whatever we can revenue-wise from the postseason. I mean, I think it's great. I think it's a great idea to go to Disney. I have all kinds of ideas, as you do, in terms of how we can so somehow make a difference there. You Weasel and I. our way in. Well, come on. I mean – Weasel, weasel, weaseling my way in would be my autobiography. It really would be. Yes, there's so many titles for your autobiography. Uh, <laughs> as, as we as we navigate our way through this, Ice anyone could be I a agree. chapter. I agreed with you, Mark, uh, a little bit because when I said I thought October 12th was a little later, I thought they were going to really try to wrap it up by, you know, if not the first day of October. Uh, within the first couple of days of October, because I think uh, particularly in college football really starts to heat up at the beginning of October. Um, you know, you you spend uh, countless hours yeah. just belaboring sure. and and dragging us all down with you, making the point that uh, yeah. those oh, Patsy yeah. games early in college football That's right. just anger you in every way. Well, why wouldn't they? I'm a good American. Why do why you hate the small programs? That's how they make all their money. They Again, get to play that. Cut them a check. Cut them a check. All right. Uh, so a little surprised about that. The other the other thing that uh, we learned is that it, it appears, though, NFL players will not be reporting uh, for any offseason workout. They will not start till training camp starts. Uh, I, I saw this initially. And again, I am um, I am generally not a hopeful person. I, I saw this initially and it gave me a little bit of pause Um to my held belief that the NFL would would be up and running again, if not on time, very close to it. Did you did you have any feeling about that? Do you, do you think that bodes poorly? No, I think it bodes well, actually, because I think they're being realistic about 
what they need to do because if they if they you know if they tied themselves to the normal calendar, John Pelkey, even if they pushed the calendar later, you know the normal calendar of of off season workouts, OTAs, training camp, the whole thing, then then they would push the season past where it needs to go. So. I think I don't have any problem with that. I think the interesting issue, and you you can speak to this and, and and Jeff too if you want, but it's like, what if we find out that they don't really need these OTAs? They don't really need all this preseason prep. I mean, college football. How much realistically do college football players prepare f- for the season before they jump in to a regular season game that counts? Yeah, I think and, some schools get less less than actually three weeks of full uh, full pad practices. I and think. this is college, Johnny. Yeah. Th- these other guys are pros. They, right. they should already have all of this stuff already done in terms of being in shape and everything else. They're pros. Right. So uh, I don't know what that means. If it's against the if it, if it's maybe against the players, if it if it's against the owners, if it's against really GMs trying to prepare their team and getting as much information as they possibly can to prepare their team because they so so they can see everything seventeen different times. I don't know what it is, but I think that's the most interesting angle of this whole thing. If they don't have that, what is that going to mean in the future? Yeah, because as you and I have both expl- I mean, I think postulated that this these new temporary quote unquote normals that we're all experiencing right now, a few of them are gonna actually become permanent. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's gonna be interesting to see. That's that's my take on that. Well one. we should point out, and again this jumps back to what Randy Bataha was talking about earlier in our show was seven preseason games. I mean, when they didn't have all of these off uh, season stuff, they 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 had seven preseason games, which is just nuts to oh me. Oh my gosh. Just it's absolutely half, it was half nuts. the season. It was yeah. half that season back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Now you had fourteen game season then as well. So there were, you know, it was it really was about you know, generating a little more revenue for the uh, for the owners because God knows God knows they need it. I mean, every I know, night, John, every night when I hit my knees, <laughs> I say, God, I can can sports owners just get a break? Lord, please, they give please do and everything give, they give. you can <laughs> to make sure that they are in the middle of the road to receive what they deserve. Oh my God, that, that's my prayer. That poor Nationals owner who was shamed by his players because he wanted to save $75,000 a month, which is essentially what he spends on hand cream. Um, and uh, for what? That's, you know, I, I, don't, I don't. You know, that's an important. Moist, moisturizing is important, John. Tommy. You can exfoliate and that could be a problem for you. So you know, the problem is, is just drink more water. You can hydrate from the inside. You really can. All right. Let's Not jump from to- the outside. Let's jump to our next uh, series of progressive trivia clues. Final series of progressive trivia clues. I don't have any. I just had the one guess from you, John. Yeah, that was, was it. Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. I have no guesses from uh, from Jeff. I Jeff, wasn't thinking quarterbacks. I thought that was a low number of touchdowns for a quarterback. I can't. Right. I can't think of it. All right. So there you go. It's 80 plus touchdowns, career touchdowns. Double-digit, however, postseason touchdowns for this guy. Played with Ted Ginn, Reggie Bush, 80-plus touchdowns in his college career. 10,000-plus yards passing in his college career. So, you know, I had a nice – picked 36th overall. So, uh, what's that, Johnny? A high second-rounder. Yep. Four and two in the playoffs. Played with three head coaches. No Pro Bowls for this guy. And, you know, had a nice college career, but one and three in bowl games. Ooh. Yeah. 
He was 28 and 12 in his first 30 games in the National Football League. Okay. Last clue. This may give it away. Four and 20 in his last 24. Wow. 28 and 12 in his first 30, which is like, you know, triple take. Yeah. And then, um, we, you know, four and 20 in his last 24, which is. Absolutely. That's that's not good. I know you're I know you're so annoyed with me, you know, making nope. my own sound effects. Nope, not annoyed with you at all. Let's move on to our potpourri segment. A couple of things we wanted to unpack here. Uh, Greg Popovich, Pete Carroll and uh, who am I missing? Uh, coaches uh, pa- uh, Popovich Kerr, Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr got together uh, on a on a podcast or radio show. And we're talking about uh, Colin Kaepernick. And I thought it was very, very interesting that um, they they all said what, what you and I have said. And this may be, again, Kaepernick can take some um, some take some dings for not actually handling everything as well, for not handling everything perfectly, which apparently is necessary for people of a certain hue. Um, <laughs> that, uh, but talking about the fact that... Um, we yeah, really except did when miss, it comes to their own performance. We really did miss the message. Um, and for whatever reason, the, the message was really skewed. And what we're seeing now is that uh, what what he was uh, initially talking about um, is 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 at the fore right now. And he was he, he really did take a hit for a lot of us. So, Johnny, I want to ask you this. And, and, and uh, Jeff, I think your insight is important on this as well. My initial instinct on this, John, is that, well, the message was mitigated because people mitigated the message. The message was, to me, clear as day. And he's kneeling, and it is a respectful moment. He talked to military people. They said, don't just sit, kneel. And to, and my first blush as a, you know, left-wing, commie, pinko, liberal, freedom, freedom hater, hater is that it the only reason it got mitigated and it got lost is because people like the leader of the free world would call him a thug. He and his a thug. Now. Second level of understanding about that is that the national anthem, it's not anything you fuck with. (laughs) In the end, don't fuck with a national anthem. And we talked about this in our last episode, and it's just a non-starter. If we're talking about negotiations, we're talking about negotiations. It's a non-starter. So if we're truly trying to progress this issue, and we're truly trying to get underneath the systemic racist racism problems in police departments and really all over the country. If we really want a solution, then we're going to have to take a hit on things that are semi-sacred cows to the left wing, which is like, you know, screw it. Put your hand, make a fist in the Olympics with with the national anthem, man. You know, I mean, from the left's point of view, it's like, God almighty, that's exactly what you want to do. But you you need to learn to give up those sacred cows if you want progress. Uh, And you know what? Call ourselves progressives. We want in the end progress. We got to let go of this idea that the national anthem is the is the place 
to protest because it's a non-starter for people we need on our side to progress the issue. The, the reality of it is, though, that uh, didn't Jesse Owens put his fist up in the air? No. No. Who was it? That would have been no. No, it was Tommy. John, John Carlos and Tommy Smith. Okay. 1968 in 68 Mexico. Mexico. So they put their fists up in the air. With black gloves on. With black gloves on. During the national anthem when they were getting their medals. Yeah, Correct. it's a black power salute. On the podium. So so basically, they are not necessarily knocking the national anthem under those circumstances. Right. They're not saying this this na- national this country that this anthem uh, stands for doesn't suck. Is that what they were saying? Were they saying that that country no? What sucked? they were saying, what they were saying, was essentially the same thing that Colin Kaepernick was saying. Was it was a Black Power salute at a time in 1968, and he you know, do the homework on all of that. But they were basically showing solidarity with the Black Power movement, um, and they were doing it during during the anthem because, as they talked about later, and there are, there's actually a great documentary on this, I believe, um, that that the anthem really, really uh, didn't didn't to quote Jackie Robinson, I cannot salute the anthem. Because all I can think about is my ancestors and what I had to endure. And they're essentially saying the same thing. Yes. And so is there a difference in your mind between that and kneeling? Jeff? I, was, I was just trying to get to the bottom of what, whether or not I would feel differently toward that. I wasn't there. wasn't something I had to experience. I know about it, but I was around when Kaepernick was doing his thing. I was trying to get to the bottom of it so I could form an opinion. And, and, and to me, John, and I know we probably disagree on this one because I'm... You know, I, I generally I, wrong. No, I just want to move forward. And I frankly, know. I think even if a conservative, a conservative idea progresses the country, mm-hmm. then that's a that's a true progressive. If you're tied to a quote unquote progressive agenda, and you're not, and and you're going to be so into your purity tests and all that other bullshit, if you ask me, then. And, 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 and as a result of that, you don't progress the, the nation or, or help the least among us in, a, in specific ways, then you're no progressive. You're just giving lip service to the agenda. Right. right. And I no, think I don't disagree I, with that. Actually. I know you don't disagree with that part, but you disagree with my methods in, in getting there. I understand that. Oh, I disagree with so much when it comes to you. But that's, <laughs> I, oddly, I mean, you've stumbled on one that doesn't bother me. So, right. yeah, I mean, God. I, there well you go. Done, well, every now and then. Well, done. well, let's let's move on to the next because uh, it, it, it actually has uh, something to do with that. A Marquette University, um, not a Marquette University student, but a student who was going to attend Marquette University on an athletic scholarship. A female student posted the following. Some people th- think it's OK to fucking kneel during the national anthem. So it's OK to kneel on someone's head. Come at me, all brainwashed, kind of disgusting, low key. I don't know what that means. The, the, the end of that. But um some students had posted it online um, and had come across it in some way. And again, they, they haven't announced who the student is, or at least I haven't found that. And, 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 and I think rightfully so at this point. Um, but uh, Marquette rescinded the student's athletic scholarship offer. And uh, here is what they said. We made the decision to rescind the incoming student's offer of admission and athletic scholarship effective immediately. We're called to build a nurturing, inclusive community where all people are safe and supported, welcomed and celebrated. I'm probably going to surprise you on this one a little. I'm really not in favor of that. I'm, Here's I'm so happy you're saying that. Marquette University is, a, is, a, a, uh, is an institution of higher learning. Aren't we supposed to teach people? 
I go back to um, uh, Al Campanis. Right. Way back to Al Campanis's comments on Nightline years ago, and celebrating Jackie Robinson actually, and he made he made a comment about um, why there weren't more black managers. He's been asked why were there no more black managers in in Major League Baseball? Why are there no more uh, African American general managers, front office people, blah blah blah, on and on and on. And this was the early '80s for people. Uh, '87, seven, okay, late '80s, and. Uh, Mid. So- he I'll was, give you a break. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. He uh, he was fired the next day. He's working for the Dodgers, Al Campanis. And uh, Link, it, it had a player development or something with the Dodgers at that time. And he was fired for that. Harry Edwards, uh, who has worked uh, you know, tires, tirelessly for uh, regarding racial injustice, was hired by Major League Baseball to look into the racial aspects of Major League Baseball. And uh, first thing he did was hire Campanis. And he said the reason he did that is we used the tools that were given. And he needed to know Al Campanis's thought process and where he came from. And I think everyone argued that Al Campanis w- was not what you would con- consider a, a r- racist in that putting on the white hood, white citizens council sort of thing, but that his thinking was a, a an outmoded thinking. Yeah, and it was yeah. the thinking that you found a lot within the halls of management, which was largely white, older. I think Marquette missed a really, really great opportunity to bring this young lady in and educate her and to um, talk about that we, we, we cannot simply have any discussion about this if our only choices are you say what I want you to say or you're gone. So, John, if you would. Yes. Read the statement by Marquette one more time. We have made the decision to rescind the incoming student's offer of admission and athletic scholarship effective immediately. We're called to, we are called to build a nurturing, inclusive community where all people feel safe, supported, welcomed, and celebrated. Okay. So get the fuck out. I'm so, sorry, they didn't put that part No, in. no, no, that's the thing. I guess they're called to build an inclusive, safe environment for everyone that agrees with their opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is just such, that right. is the reason why hardline PC liberals get bashed, and I think legitimately so, because they are calling for inclusivity and tolerance, and we want them to feel safe, except this except this person. We are going to make her feel completely unsafe. We are going to exclude her, oh, by the way. And it's to your point, John. You're also, oh, by the way, an institute of higher learning. Right. It's really just one mistake that someone says, and oh, by the way, I read that thing. It was hard to interpret exactly what she meant. It didn't seem like she was advocating for the kneeling on a knee necessarily. It wasn't written very well. I wasn't sure what she meant. She's it was a like high school senior. Would you not at least ask her what she meant by that before you do this? To me, this is – you know what it is? It's Marquette covering their ass. It's yep. Marquette not wanting to be associated with anything that's going to hurt their brand on social media. It has nothing to do with inclusivity and safety because also if it giving did, mob they would be tolerant of her. You have to tolerate what you loathe, John Pelkey. That's the – that's that John Adams. That's the tent – that's the – Huge fundamental tenement of the United States Constitution. Yes. 
Yeah. We wouldn't have a should, country. Should I take the other side of this argument? Sure. <laughs> I'm yeah, not wow. going to. I that agree with you ironic. whole. I know. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I can't. Or I can't argue against it. it the fun. <laughs> the funny thing to me is that it. Re, sometimes it just takes a longer conversation to kind of dig deeply into yourself. And as much as I don't like the fact that they took away her scholarship, which means that they somebody, whether it be a scholarship that's paid for by an outside source or it's Marquette money going towards that scholarship, regardless, they said that she did not fit into their line of thinking. Therefore, they didn't want to be associated with her. They're able to take the scholarship away and they're doing so. I want to be against that so hard. But to do so, I then have to say that I'm against the NFL taking the exact same stance against Colin Kaepernick. Okay, first of all, let's start here. NFL is a uh, is a professional sport. And Agreed. It is a professional business. You are an institution of higher learning. Agreed. And I think what and as I said, I think they're wrong. I you know I'm not always right. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think they missed a great opportunity for Marquette University to yeah. teach everyone a lesson. Yeah, I agree with and you. And when they say and when they say this, when they say you know she didn't fit into our ideals. Oh, so uh, thank you for letting me know that when I write my whatever uh, thing you have to write to get into college, and as we can see, why it is essay. Yeah, an essay <laughs> to get into college. Let me make sure that I, it fits into what you want me to fit into, because God forbid you educate me on any of this, because that's not really why we're here, right? We're here to sell sweatshirts and win basketball games. I just think they missed a huge. I agree. Job. I agree with you there. I think you what I was doing was moving right away from my original thought. Uh, hard. I, I'm not as hardcore on my Colin Kaepernick stands as I was before. See, and and conversation and John, is good. Yes. Here's John trying to get you off of that because oh no, the NFL has a perfect right to do that. I think that not it is there is university. It's here's, different. Here's John Pelkey trying to argue that you should be more firm in your Colin he's, Kaepernick he's, stance. He's, he's we right. Have gone through the looking glass. <laughs> he's right though. Show. He's right though. They are different because the nfl isn't there to teach uh it's but at the same time when i think about this maybe the opportunity was there for the nfl to use its uh i I can't even keep saying this because i'm gonna be i i i'm i've gotta i've gotta think it out more I'm, i'm speaking off the cuff here but they kind of are in line with each other and i really disagree with taking away that girl's scholarship so it does kind of go against my feelings towards the NFL and Kaepernick. Yeah, I just think I just think, you know, to, to the, to the thing, that. I think we're all too reactionary. I think we're all too reactionary and I, I'm guilty of it. I think we're all too reactionary. But I really think when you're an institution of higher learning and, and Marquette is a very, very good university. It's not some fly by night operation going on at Marquette. Um, they, they really had an opportunity. And I think another college has an opportunity to offer a scholarship to this young lady, require that she go to some sort of, and I don't want to say sensitivity training, just, just education. Isn't that why we 18 year olds go to college? They're supposed to get educated even well, except the ones who generally play division one college basketball, they're there to get the NBA and, and, and maybe football to that extent. I just think they missed a really, really good opportunity. And I hope 
I fervently hope because at, at the heart, I, I am a, a forgiving person. I hope this young lady is given an opportunity to uh, further her athletic and academic career elsewhere. I think a college that would offer something to her would uh, would be able to stand up and say, you know what? We are about solving the problem. We're not about eliminating the uncomfortable nature well, of it. And that's the that's the issue, John, because you talk about how people don't even want to talk about racism even more more than they even want to talk about the act. Of They're more racism. offended by the talk of racism than they are actual racism. Well, liberals, if you turn that around, liberals are more afraid to actually confront people that may have made a mistake and said something wrong racially than they are immediately to 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 make a to make a, you know, a bold move and make sure everyone knows that they're on the right side of history. To me, that's as insidiously bullshitty as the one you talk about. And and especially if it's a if it's an institution of higher learning. I you know, I you're 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 the you're the cynic. I'm the optimist in terms of if someone's going to, you know, write a cartoon about us. Um, but in this case, I'm a cynic in terms of any higher institution or any corporation or any any entity that has a bottom line that is based on what the mob thinks of them. Mm-hmm. And right now, the mob mentality out there is like, how dare you say something? And because, I mean, on the surface, it looks like she's saying it's fine for him to be dead because Colin Kaepernick. I, I don't even know what if that's what she meant. <laughs> it's 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 just that I just feel like I I would be very very pleasantly surprised and really my odds right now are like 10% that there's an institution out there that would step up and say let's look at the big picture people are we about solving this thing are we about solutions are we about lip or or are we about lip service that saves our bottom fucking line and another yeah. another thing there is that she may have had there may be some point deep inside of that statement that is uber important important that maybe four years of of schooling at marquette could have taught her how to say it the proper way and make a good point yes yeah no i completely agree i'm I'm glad we're all on the same page with this uh, because i just i i I, you know initially i read it and i you know and and i fall to it sometimes and i'm like yeah screw them for you know for saying that but I've come I've come around a little bit on it. And Bill Maher talks about this a lot on his show is the shame, the shaming culture yep. and uh, how we we can ruin someone's lives for a momentary lapse of reason. Uh, and there's a Pink Floyd reference in the show first time. Um, so I, I just I, I just felt Marquette really, really missed an opportunity to show that they were more than a, uh, you know, some of these schools have become just profit centers and they're supposed to be education centers and you have to be able to have every opinion come in to and to Jeff's point you're you're supposed to be in the job of molding people not just to set them up so they can go get a job you're molding them into sentient thinking beings so they can do a, so they can construct a grammatically proper tweet at right. the very least. Our, our, yeah, as Marquette's saying, you know what? You don't come in perfected, so we can't have you here because that'll kill the curve of Mar- Marquette graduates. Exactly. We, we need you to come in come in right here. All right. Uh, finally, and we're, of course, well over time because we always are. Um, uh, our poll question again this week is documentaries. Is there a sports documentary that you would like to see? We still want you to chime in on that podcast, AFR at gmail.com. I have mentioned that I would like to see The Amazing A's of the 70s. 
and I would like to see uh, collusion in baseball uh, from the 70s and the 80s. Mark, yours are? Mine was the Big Red Machine and also Philadelphia sports from 72 to 80 and the arc of being the worst to being one of the best sports towns in America. But I'm going to add one to that after our interview with Randy Vitaha. We need a Jim Plunkett documentary. We truly we need a Jim Plunkett documentary that really Aren't shows. Are his parents blind? Yes. I, I believe he, both yes, his parents they are blind. Are. And, and what he did with Stanford, all of the underdog kind of moments that he had with Stanford University to get them to win to and not Rose Bowl won in 71 uh, in 70 I should say and 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 the beating I mean you know documentaries are so good at just you know we'd have like 10 minutes of just carnage of him just <laughs> getting destroyed by defensive linemen all across the uh, the the NFL and how he went I mean I I'm going to add that that's my that's my third one all right, we want to hear people's. Jeff, did you, did you have one? I didn't, but I I did uh, consider this, and you know what I would like to see is the rise to that Braves uh, World Series win. That was an interesting. I mean, the, how they put together that pitching staff, and uh, that'd be a, that'd be an interesting thing to see because they Cox went from, stepping down from general manager to field manager during all of that. Yeah, no, that's the Braves of the '90s would be amazing because no one's ever gonna ever gonna do what they did. No, they in the '90s, folks. Every year they had a World Series. Every year there was a playoff. They got to the NLCS. Yeah. From ninety great. from ninety one on. Yeah. Every single year of that decade, they got to the NLCS when there was a playoff. I mean, obviously I'm just saying that because ninety four there wasn't one. And they could certainly get into why uh player representative Tom Glavin uh, uh basically uh did a single-handedly prevented the World Series from being played in 1994 because they were not going to win. They were not going to win the NL East that year. So that's that's my conspiracy theory for the day, is that Tom Glavin prevented the 94 World Series single-handedly. I buy that. I buy that immediately, John. Without any additional research, I buy that because I've never trusted Tom Glavin. <laughs> well, my, my favorite player, Tom Glavin, uh, of, of that era... Uh, but uh, you really agree with that because of the year that the, the San Francisco Giants won 100 and how many games? They won 103 and 93. Didn't get to the playoffs. Because of the because the Braves won 105, yeah. 106? They won 104. They won one 100, more. There you go. They won yeah, one wow, more. Only and, one more. Yeah, it was rough. But I, again, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. NLCS, it's not like they just made the playoffs. They got to the National League Championship Series, the equivalent of a championship game in, in, in the NFL. Every single year. Yep. And Mark. But, but only won one. Went to how many World Series? Only won one. Uh, got robbed of a World Series by horrible uh, umpiring in the 97 uh, National League Championship Series. So that's a really good one, Jeff. I think Thank they you. went to five World Series. Yeah, one, Nin one. 91, 92, 95, 96. And I think they went to one, what, in 90, 99, I believe. 99, yeah, I think 99 as well. So that's that really, really good one. That's the former public address announcer for Atlanta Braves Spring Training. Voice of the Braves. I, I would think they would interview me. Extensively. John Pelkey was I the voice of the Braves. He really should be interviewed. All right, let's get our progressive trivia answer, Mark Ferreira. All right, Johnny, did you have any idea about this one? Jeff got it right, which is... Uh, when when you gave the last clue, I knew who it was. Okay. 80-plus career touchdowns, double-digit postseason TDs. You know, that's interesting. Played with Ted Ginn and Reggie Bush. That's uh, just fun to find those kinds of names in a, in a person's career. 80-plus TDs in his college career. A very good career with Nevada. 10,000-plus yards passing. 
uh, was picked 36 overall, a high second round pick, four and two in the playoffs. Double digit postseason TDs uh, include his passing and his rushing touchdowns, by the way. Played with three head coaches Jim Harbaugh, Jim Tom Sula, and Chip Kelly. He. No <laughs> Pro Bowls. One and three in bowl games with Nevada. 28 and 12. First came out of the block, man, like a shot. 28 and 12 in his first 30 games, four and 20 in his last 24. Some people would make the argument that's not why that's why he's not in the NFL. Not because of any protests he made, because he was four and twenty his last twenty four games. I would say Thanks it to was Jim the Kelly Niners. and Jim Tom Sula. Exactly. It was Jim Tos, Tom Sula's coached 49ers people. <laughs> the answer is Colin Kaepernick. Come yes. on. Absolutely. So he figured prominently. I should have known. I should have known you'd slip a slip a Kaepernick in when uh, one in. Why very, not? very well Perfect done. Timing. All right. What's that? Perfect timing. Yeah. Uh, well, there's a broken clock blind squirrel analogy there, but uh, we'll, 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 we will see <laughs> for, for both of us. For that applies to me, John. I mean, it really and, does. And it I mean, applies I don't think to, any, anyone would disagree. It applies to me as well. We had a shorter open because we had Randy Vitaha. So a couple of things I want to cover in the close. A couple of great things that have happened to me. All right. Can't I, wait. Uh, I'm installing a barn door for our master bathroom. And right. uh, we've, we, it's, we're in day two. Um, it's taken much longer than I expected. Right. We thought we would. I mean, I thought it would be done based on what you said last episode. I thought it would yep. be done by now. Nope. Nope. And uh, we've survived it so far. My wife hasn't killed me. And I haven't killed myself. Which. Well, but you're. So you're you're just pushing, as the kids would say, you are pushing through the frustration. Yeah. yeah. Of of not only just the equipment. But of uh, uh, maybe partly of your lack of know-how. I'm not a great carpenter. But in the end, your wife respects the poosh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. So it's, and, I've got that going for me. You haven't given up. Which You're like Randy Bataha. <laughs> I, I would have given up. There was a period yesterday where I was about to give up and just say, I will hire anyone to come in here and, and put this door up at this point as long as I don't have to do it. But she was very good about saying, step away. And in fact, step away, have a scotch. There's wow. there's no sweeter taste than accomplishment. <laughs> and I'm glad that you have quenched your thirst. Thank you. And wow. speaking of accomplishments, also yesterday, and this is just what I got to tell you, I paid off my car loan. Awesome. Congratulations. Two years and seven months. Go get your oil changed. Two years and seven months? Two years and seven months. Paid that's off my car. Out, that's well done out of you. Yeah, but so I kept a lot of that. haven't made any money in three months. Well yes. done. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So anything you guys want uh, for the close here before we get out of here? Well, Mark, I, I got nothing. I said everything I needed to say, and uh, this was a great show. Thank you to Randy Fataha. That's all I have to say. And uh, I just hope and pray that we can... You know, reach for our better angels. That's all. All of us. Every single human being in this country and really in the world, but in this country because we we represent the world. We are really the world. You know, America obviously has everyone from the world. We probably have the, the best qualities of the entire world, and we have the worst qualities of the entire world. Uh, not just, worst. Not worst. It gets worse elsewhere. But there's I some bad ones. we can reach for our better angels and, uh, and, and see a, you know, see a unified, progressive solution that you know a good 75 to 80 percent of us can agree on well good luck on that I, we live you know, in florida i've I slipped know. on my karnak hat and i uh i see the future of us talking about drew Brees on the show on friday all right Ooh. all right 
Let's hope Me so. Too. Love, love, love Drew Brees. First college football player I ever interviewed at the ESPN club was Drew Brees, and he was great. And if it says he's six one in the program, he's not. Because I'm, well, I used to be 5'9". Now I'm about 5'6 I think. <laughs> As my spine oh, compresses. Before your, by, by your 55th birthday, you've already yeah. shrunk two and a half inches? Yeah. You know me. Treat, <laughs> treat my body like a rodeo, which is where I'm headed now to finish the barn door and then treat my body like a rodeo. Once again, thanks to Randy Vataha. What a great interview. We look forward to having him back. Thanks to Jeff Taylor, Mark Ferrer. I'm John Pelkey. This has been After Further Review. But it's the same old story.